thank you for joining us at Nikki Dare Radio on Blog Talk Radio, heard worldwide by millions of listeners, with your lovely host, Ms. Nikki Dare. Our podcast, hosted by Nikki Dare, is your home for education to safety and survival, leadership and inspiration. Nikki Dare is the founder of iDare Inc., a registered 501c3 with its mission to educate and mobilize resources for preparedness and sustainability. iDare is a grassroots credo and personal mission based on its pillars of excellence, integrity, diversity, adaptation, resilience, and empowerment. Ms. Dare's personal mission is to help you encounter your purpose by unlocking your inherent potential and finding joy in the journey. Nikki Dare is the published author of The Audacity of Veracity, a columnist, women in the field of Western Outdoor News, California's publication of Fishing and Hunting. Ms. Dare is a certified firearms instructor in rifle, shotgun, and handgun, RSO, range safety officer, and CERT, Community Emergency Response Training member, a FEMA certified training, women's advocate, transformational mentor, and a seasoned BPR change management consultant since her early 20s in transforming companies, and decades later she is reinventing her purpose. Nikki Dare's life has been spent passionately in helping others going through transformation, both personal and professional. And now, here's your lovely host, Ms. Nikki Dare. Again, I am Nikki Dare, your host. Episodes brought by iDare, home for survival, safety, and disaster preparedness. As promised, we are back with part two of Las Vegas Massacre, what we didn't know. As we are collecting information unraveled through this investigation process, uh, we are trying to, you know, get everybody together here. First off, I want to say thank you to all of our loyal listeners out there. To date, I want to insert this information. We have more than 60,000 listeners across, across the world. And our goal is to continue our grassroots in promoting disaster risk reduction and sustainability. I also want to thank all of our guests in the past or present who have contributed their time and their valuable insights throughout this past, this past, uh, past years. With that, we, we do have some incredible uh, guests this morning, which I will introduce to you all shortly. But before, I want to mention a few housekeeping reminders. I just want to insert this from the start as a reminder that we are not by any means to be alluding or enchanted on this, um, any political or re- religion on this subject. Rather, we are deeply saddened to this continuous, continuous evil, evil, evil acts, uh, you know, with victims, victimizing the innocents and, you know, we, we just want to be compassionate to these victims and losses of the good people. After all, we're all in this together. We need to discuss this, what we don't know. All right. I think I need to step off this up, folks. <laughs> no. All right. Thanks. Moving on. In our previous shows, we continue to discuss some ways we can better ourselves to prepare or avoid in situations at happy measurements, if possible. We need to stay vigilant. I think we, we hear this all over again and again in all of the episodes that I brought in. We need to learn to know how to take care of ourselves when disaster strikes, when you least expect it. And, you know, we want to we focus on some hard facts. Okay. What are the hard facts on this kind of reality? The world is full of dirtbags. 
bunch of shitbags. I'm sorry, I can't say that in my own <laughs> radio here. Evil is evil. Nothing or no one can change that. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. We must stay safe at all times and apply common sense. And I want to insert this too. We need to continue to train, train hard to stay safe and stay vigilant. And you are your own first responder when shit hits the fan. We cannot turn back time. And this is just a reality. We can just certainly move on and be stronger. So with heavy hearts, I want to acknowledge and thank the sacrifice, selfless services to all of our first responders who, um, who some became victims themselves during this horror attack. Past or present, you know, the recent attack, as well as our condolences to innocent people who came home with less members in their families. Very, very sad deal, you guys. Unfortunately, disasters unite people to come together. So we need to be more proactive and reactive. We learn, uh, not reactive, I should say. We learn from one another. We need to continue to talk about this. And this hits me hard also, personally, because I was only 45 minutes away from the incident that night. I, I want to include this information because I didn't do so last time. Uh, we stayed that weekend about 45 minutes away uh, from Las Vegas. And as we woke up that morning, we heard the shocking news. But at the same time, um, we were grateful. We decided not to go to um, in town to Vegas for dinner that night. So, again, sad, sad, sad deal. So with that, let's bring in our special guest, seasoned professionals with military and law enforcement background whom are great friends and great, incredible, amazing men, whom are all have been and familiar, past or present, our residents of Las Vegas, Nevada. I believe Bill Carnes is uh, currently resident of Las Vegas. I mean, I'm sorry, Nevada and Trump, I believe. Uh, you all will meet him a little bit shortly here. So I'm very humbled to have them all here this morning. Now, I'm going to introduce you to Patrick. Patrick, basically, uh, won't be joining us this uh, particular call, but however, inside will be included within this episode. A good friend, very incredible young man with very bold background, combined with his military and non-military. He is no stranger with, with this episode, this radio station here. He is also a Hollywood stuntman whom a lot of us known from the famous movie, The Shooter. He was a technical advisor, a military technical advisor to Mark Wahlberg in the movie, as well as another movie, I believe, was Legacy of the Super. Uh, star with Tom Berenger. And he has another movie recently, 2016, last year. I, I don't recall the name of the movie. With all our fun in Hollywood scene, you can find Garrity out in the range. He teaches farms from basic to advanced tactical training to self-defense with a organization, a school called Nancy Farms Training, EF Training Net. He also just completed his bachelor degree in Pulsi in international relations. A couple of years ago, he completed his master's in national security studies with focus in cybersecurity. Currently, he resides in Santa Barbara, California. Like I said, he won't be joining in this call. However, his uh, you know, incredible expertise and um, two cents insights will be inserted within the episode. David, another great friend, former Marine, David Gray. With me here again this morning, I guess from him is the middle of the night. He just told me it's 11 o'clock 
out there on the other side of the globe. He's in Bangkok. Returning guest, a young man who has such an impressive uh, portfolio from being a veteran, uh, Marine, former Marine, and uh, stuntman also in Hollywood with TV shows among CSI, Vegas, and others that I can't name. Just the list goes on. A published author to currently owning his own international security company, Demas Security, <clears throat> based in Bangkok. Uh, Demas-Security, I believe it's .com. And uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. David Gray, hello. <laughs> and right. uh, you for having me. time over there. Thank you for making the time for us. All right, another yeah, guest, Bill Carn. <laughs> Thanks. I have another it's good guest. good to be here, Nikki. Oh, you're quite welcome, Bill. I'm grateful to have you here uh, with us this morning. He is no stranger to many of us in the farms industry. And we see him out there on shooting ranges, professional farms trainer, nationally syndicated radio show on American rights and the Second Amendment. He has appeared as guests on radio and TV and films, one of which he was a featured contestant of the inaugural season of Top Show, I mean Top Shot, competition based on reality show on the History Channel. Currently, he does live in Nevada. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. You had it earlier. I uh, I grew up in Las Vegas, but I live about an hour out in Pahrump. I live kind of deep into Pahrump. Oh, great, great. So you know this perfect person to talk about this, right? So these, these are the perfect gentlemen to have on your side when things shit hit so fast, right? Train with them. That's one of the things you can do with this gentleman. All right. It's usually that I should say farm with, with you guys Great to have you all back with me here. Let's dive into this subject. I will let you guys have the floor now. Let's start with Bill. He's a local and closer to home. Like you said, that he is, you know, he is a Las Vegas, uh, grown up there, resident in Nevada. Tell us what you think, well, what we don't know here. First, Nikki, I want to say it's great to talk with you. I haven't actually seen you in the last few years, but we do keep in touch. Same with David. I haven't seen David for almost a decade, but we've been pals the whole time. Mm-hmm. We still keep in touch, even though he's halfway across the world. And uh, I'm looking forward to tuning in later to hear Pat Garrity's thoughts. Um, He and I met probably 13, 14 years ago or so. Um, We're together doing a few things and uh, just a great guy. So uh, it's a a neat little kind of a reunion, if you will, for the group of us. Um, Great, great, great. Go ahead. when, When it comes to the shooting, the concert venue involved, which is kind of kitty corner across from Mandalay Bay, it's uh, certainly not unfamiliar for me. I've driven by it many times. I've worked it many times. I uh, actually work in the production field behind the camera now, more often than being mm. in front of the camera. And we okay. were there just the weekend before. Uh, in fact, um, we were right in the same line that the shooter would have been on an elevated platform. Uh, and right. we had a team, matter of fact, a guy that owns the company that I work with, he was actually uh, working a convention at Mandalay Bay. Uh, we do that a lot. He was doing some camera work there. Got released a few hours before the whole mayhem started. I was down there just a few days later, uh, walked the perimeter of Mandalay Bay, looked around, took some pictures, took some uh, basic measurements just by walking. And what it comes out to is the center of the crowd in that venue was around 450 yards from the base of Mandalay Bay. Okay. So the he wasn't a thousand was, yards because I saw that, you know. It wasn't a no, thousand was yards that they claimed. About, no, from the from the center of the is a thousand feet maybe. 
but uh, to okay. the center of where the crowded area is, because the, the the way that the layout is, the center of that area is around 450 yards. Of course, 32nd floor, and the floors are not – you can't count from the outside to 32, and that's where it was. It was more like about 27 floors up uh, from the mm. ground level. Um, that's roughly 100 yards high, which puts us at about a 12-and-a-half plus or minus degree of uh, downward angle. Um, angle, right. And – yeah, the, so the downward angle is about 12 and a half degrees, give or take a little bit. And uh, certainly a, you know, it's one of these things I, I've chatted with a number of other people, other friends, other professionals. David been part of it time or two. When we talk about post 9-11 terrorism, what would actually terrorize Las Vegas? Because we have people from all across the planet coming here on a regular basis. And one of those was just a single, what could be the single, the smallest operation most impact and it's always been the discussion of a single shooter from an elevated position into a crowd and mm-hmm. that is exactly what ended up happening um mm-hmm. so you know that's that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it we can certainly get into police response what people can do if they're in the crowd and i want right. to know your thoughts on first responders realizing that most of the first responders didn't wear uniforms they were people in the crowd that were helping uh, there was a uh, David, I'm sure, loves this story where there was a Marine who stole a pickup truck and started carting right. people to the uh, to the hospital that needed to go. Right. Um, I think it'd be great if there was a car dealer that gave whoever it was who owned the pickup a new truck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that would be mm-hmm. kind of a cool thing. So uh, I, I, anyhow, I there's, I there's kind of what the nuts Right. I, I, Bill, Bill um, I think David mentioned about that, too, the Marine that had a pickup or uh, found a pickup truck and then able to rescue. How many bodies? How many people were there? 30 people. David. He, he, he reportedly moved 30 people from the from the event, injured people from the event to the hospital. He made three right. trips with 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. See, these are the kind of like acts that, you know, you're right, first responders. I mean, these are the kind of heroic. What, it's not heroic. I mean, is this something you've got to do? You've got to do, you know, you've got to do this. Right. <laughs> but people, and, people don't have what, the training, what, the skills, the, the exposure to this. And we need to um, share these thoughts. And you go ahead, gentlemen. Well, what, what I was uh, saying when I sent you that article, Nikki, was now imagine if we, ha- <clears throat> if we had had, uh, let's say, if that truck had a first aid kit in it already ready to right. go, okay. right. if, if the owner of that truck had been, had been trained to administer, you know, uh, combat, combat, uh, casualty care, event you know, kind of thing. Just, just, just some basic, basic combat medical care, you know, plug a bullet hole, you know, throw some quick clot on it, pull a tourniquet on somebody and get them going to the hospital. Enough, right. now, to, yeah, enough transition from the, the incident to the hospital to where the you know, doctor's medical te- right. team will, will take them through. Right, exactly. Just ba- basic, basic trauma care and get them to the hospital. Now imagine if, if there were 20 people there who had uh, medical training and access to, to having a first aid kit in their vehicle, right? a, a, mm-hmm. a fairly advanced, not, not your basic you know, bumps and boo-boos kind of first aid kit, but a pretty advanced <clears throat> trauma kit in their car in a backpack, right. you know, or, or close at hand. Um, right, then right. You could, have, you could have decreased the fatalities and increased 
the, the number of people saved uh, and gotten more people to the hospital uh, without bleeding out. Right. There are Bill, numerous since- reports of people bleeding out right there on the, on the concert floor. Right. Bill, since you are in Las Vegas, uh, you're exposed to the, uh, you know, emergency response and all of this. Um, we mentioned in our previous show, this episode, um, regarding, you know, safety measurements and all of that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Meaning, well, um, go ahead. It's, it's interesting in Las Vegas, whenever there is a, uh, a large event, the promoters of the large event by county statute must actually quite a nice little sum for Las Vegas Metro to attend. Now they're not on duty cops so much. What they are is it's their day off. They work for Las Vegas Metro patrol works four tens or 10 hour shifts. They have three days off. And if an event comes up during their days off, they can work overtime. So they're working for time and a half on their actual day off. They go in, they wear their uniform, they grab, a car, truck, a marked unit generally, sometimes unmarked, but they have radios. They've got everything they normally would, and they're assigned to a special event channel. And there's a lot of them. At this particular venue with this particular event, there's probably at least a dozen, between dozen, maybe 18 actually cops that are there. I don't know how many specifically, but 12 to 18. And they also are required to have medical assistance. They always have a hired pillbox there, an ambulance for enough people like that. They might have had two or even three plus a supervisor. So there's people actually on the scene when this happens, which that's for exactly reasons like this. If something goes down, if there's some sort of an event. Now, keep in mind, very, very few people had any idea where the, the shooting was coming from. I actually watched a, uh, a cell phone video where a lady was pointing up to where the shots were coming from. She saw them and was pointing, standing in a crowd of people who were uh, taking cover, just, you know, prairie dogging it, if you will. And she was Mm -hmm. standing there pointing up to the window where it was coming from. So in an effect to actually try to do anything, you would need to lay down suppressive fire. But there's a rule four issue. You're firing into a hotel, hoping that you're getting what's – you know, the bad guy that's actually shooting at you. And if he was truly prone at the time, your ability to hit him was essentially going to be nothing unless you backed up another couple hundred yards, that's a very increased your elevation on top of, say, something like right. an elevated room or the roof of the Tropicana, and mm-hmm. then been able to engage him with a higher powered rifle, at least a 308, Good if not point. a 300 wind mag and above. So you've got something larger and more capable of now going more like 800 to 1,000 yards. So the the guy was really in a perch. You had to come up behind him, which is the way he ended up being found out. Of course, he did himself, but I'm just giving more references the way it would have gone had he not actually killed himself. So mm-hmm. I have some thoughts and, on that as well. Good. Uh, and with all of that being said, you also have to realize just not even a half a mile away was a police station. Now, Las Vegas Metro has a lot of substations all around the valley. They are the city of Las Vegas and unincorporated uh, Clark County. So there, you don't have Henderson. That's a separate agency, North Las Vegas, Boulder City, and Mesquite, way 90 miles away. They, they all have their own independent uh, municipal police departments. Las Vegas Metro covers everything else. So they have their South Central Area Command, uh, not the same as in L.A. South Central here is actually the end of the strip, literally not a quarter mile away from Mandalay Bay. So – 
10.08 p.m. is when the reports of the first shots came out. Graveyard shift starts at 10 p.m., where swing shift ends at 1 a.m. They overlap by three hours. So you had uh, the special event police there. You had swing shift on the street, and then you had grave shift in the shack. And they're getting, they're hearing this, and they're getting sent out immediately, directly there. At least two, if not three, squads of grave shift. Two, if not three, squads of swing shift. And uh, then also right behind Mandalay Bay is Interstate 15. And on the back side of that, west of the strip, west of Interstate 15, is the Enterprise Area Command. And you've got at least two, if not three, swing shift uh, uh, patrols out there, their squads. And then you've got two, if not three, gray patrols in their shack getting their uh, early shift briefing. So you have all of these various squads and all these various cops not all that far away. Some of them literally down the street, others coming down the freeway, maybe five minutes rolling code. You've got Henderson PD that is between five and 15 minutes, depending on what part of the city that they're in. And then you've got mm-hmm. North Las Vegas, also five to 15 minutes away that they're further north on Interstate 15. So they both have interstate access for everybody to get there. Cause, so within the radius. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, there, I mean, there's a big off-ramp right there um, with, with those very the Interstate 215 and Interstate 15, um, both very close. So mm-hmm. you've got a lot of ability for them for the various medical guys to be able to get there quick, easy, fast access. Um, mm-hmm. So when it came to first response ability, Las Vegas is designed and placed with a lot of right. advantages when it comes to those freeways. And Sunday night at 10 o'clock, not very busy streets. You got to realize mm-hmm. a lot of people that come to Las Vegas that drive, drive from Southern California, and they're generally already gone by 10 p.m. They're down the road. Point. So the ability for the first responders to get there to actually have some unseen was great. Um, and you are, you got to realize that it was roughly 12 minutes of shooting, 10 to 12 minutes of shooting uh, that actually occurred before the security guard went up in there. Um, Paddock saw him on the video cameras he had set up outside on the, uh, the room service cart. The cables were going into the room. He fires a big blast around the security guard ends up with one in his leg. That's, that was the end of Paddock shooting was when he got found out from his six when he noticed that the security guard was coming up the hallway. After that, he did himself. No more shooting came out of the room. Hmm. So that security guard – and the security guard responded, actually, to a smoke alarm that was going off in Paddock's room. Right. So right, must have been. that's what <laughs> brought their, their, up. them up there. Yeah. Right, and right. It wasn't, it wasn't – it wasn't reported widely at all, but a police officer was with him. He was staying a little bit further back in case somebody jumped out of another room, as I'm told by uh, Mandalay security. Um, he stayed back to cover the security guards back, which I, I don't know the conversation that happened there. But, uh, yeah, when he got oh, hit in the leg, that was what, it for the shooting. Yeah, well, let me interject while you're talking about that, too. Uh, what about the uh, the guy underneath or above him? I mean, when he heard all of this shooting going on, I mean, he woke up in here. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a guy downstairs, a veteran, downstairs, who called right. up, told the police he heard automatic gunfire from the room directly above him. He was on the above, 31st okay. floor and gave him the room number. So SWAT actually went 
and I'm sorry, not SWAT, the police that were there actually went in and went to go talk to him first before they went upstairs. And there's been, um, there's been a fair amount of, uh, uh, inconsistency on how long it took him to get in. Some reports are it was 60 minutes after the shooting stopped. So it'd be 72 minutes after it started before they went in. But you also have to realize that they're going to be going down a long hallway. This guy's all the way at the end of the hallway, long hallway from the elevator banks. They're going to clear every single room along the way. If there's not any shooting going on, they're not, you're not tactically. It's a nightmare to leave your back exposed. The only other solution, if the shooting is still active, you're going to have to place cops along the way near the various doorways to cover a couple of doors each in case someone comes out. Um, and then you could have a potential crossfire situation. So that he wasn't shooting, they used the proper techniques to clear every single room along the way before they got there, blew the door, and, and went in. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> so what's your thought, Davis? Okay. All right. Well, this is, this is well, one I mean, thing. You, you do um, this also, right? I mean, you just took on a project also, so I want to hear your thoughts on this too, about right. clearing. So and... this, this is one of the things that we, that we do as well when we do event security. Um, and we, we, we man event security with up to 100 110 uh, security officers in different types of venue, uh, single level indoor convention centers uh, that can hold up to 20,000 people, uh, indoor convention centers that can hold 10 to 15,000 people, and outdoor events that can hold up, up over 20, 22,000 quite, quite easily. Um, one of the first considerations that we have is uh, ease of access, of course, and secondly is um, elevated positions that are uh, vulnerabilities, let's say. So for them to have a huge outdoor event in, uh, in Las Vegas with elevated positions on three sides and not have an overwatch ele- element uh, seems like a very big tactical error. Um, on my part, from me, my perspective, um, is now when we do these sporting events or we do these big concert events, um, we, we will put up a, uh, an Overwatch team, which consists of uh, a spotter, a guy in a binoc- with binoculars scanning the crowd, and not, not seven power binoculars. We're talking, you know, major magnification binoculars. Also, we'll put up... Uh, Someone, uh, if it's if there's diplomats involved, we'll have Thai special forces or Thai SWAT team come in, and they will have precision shooters in position up above the crowd, standing by, scanning the crowd, uh, looking for any possible problems. Um, with the hotel, with the guy shooting, there should have actually been some type of police element or security element up on the upper levels. Using that I, as an I, observation I agree. over the event. Okay. I agree um, with that. It, they has two towers that both look over the event in, in, on one angle or another. Both of those towers should have been being used. Luxor, How about the selection high, of firepower? It, it, it could be anything, right? Like Bill said, 308 or up, right? 338 yep. Lapua. 300 up. Exactly. Now, exactly. Okay, so... 
but irregardless of firearm, there should have been someone actively scanning the buildings for problems, actively scanning the event for problems, looking for, mm-hmm. for weaknesses, looking for suspect things. Um, when, when the shooting happened, so many people ran the incoming and outbound flights. Mm. So this is another thing an Overwatch team would have had to have considered. Right? Uh, okay, we've got people running through the buildings. What do we do? Where are the injured? Where are the dead? How do we can get help to them? Mm. This is something all of these are all things that an Overwatch team help to put people into action. The helicopter from uh, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department was up really quick very commendable that they got it up as quick as they did, but it was still a bit too late, and they didn't have any kind of reactionary element on the helicopter. There was no shooter on the helicopter. There was no shooter on the roof uh, of any of the other buildings. This seems like a very serious people in an open field environment surrounded. So do, do you do you guys feel that this is definitely a game changer as far as security measurements and safety measurements among the hotels in Las Vegas or anybody that's watching right now, the worldwide is watching right now? Uh, a couple couple things. One, of course, the bad guys are saying, wow, you know, like I said before and in, in the last episode, um, you know, they don't have any they don't, you know, we can, we can shoot for so long and, you know, the cops are going to come for so long at, at this time, you know, that's the, the one side. The other side is that, well, what are we going to do now? We learn from something here. So what do well, you think? I, I, I'll tell you from a perspective in Las Vegas, um, I am quite sure predicting the future is a, a prediction because I've had the same discussion with plenty of people that David just brought up about having at least observers, if not armed observers. Now, I don't know that we're going to have armed observers on top of the hotels in perches, but I would imagine if we had a couple of guys in each area up there with high-powered spotting scopes or binoculars looking that had radios available to others uh, to where they could tell police where they were. Now, of course, having somebody armed, trained, and capable, certified, whatever you want to call it, that could engage and stop it right now is the best answer. But I don't know that Las Vegas is going to want to be known as a place. If there's a concert, then we need to have snipers on roofs. Well, I don't we know get that it. That's yeah, going to be I get it. They want to send. Right, so, because entertainment. Certainly right. in, in the kitty corner uh, uh, direction from this particular venue, keep in mind this is not the only outdoor concert venue in the urban environment. There's one in downtown where the courthouse used to be across from the D called the Downtown Event Center. I've seen a few shows there, and it's surrounded on all sides by tall buildings. And I have actually looked at that when I was first there. Wow, anybody could have their chance at this place, it, you know, with all the people there. Anyhow, if you had somebody on top of Mandalay and somebody on top of the Tropicana, you would have had a great um, view. They're across from each other. They're both kitty corner from the venue, from the venue, and they would have had uh, excellent observation capabilities. And uh, – that would have helped out. Steve Wynn did an interview where he said he's got – Steve Wynn is not one of these corporate-type guys that says take the guns away from security. Now, you've got Mandalay, which is owned by MGM, as MGM owns probably at least half of the Las Vegas Strip. Caesars Entertainment owns almost the other half with the exception of 
Sheldon Allison and Steve Wynn, uh, they pretty much own everything. And Steve Wynn does not disarm his security guys. As a matter of fact, his security guys carry concealed, and they get some very good training, and they're a very heads-up group. It's tough to get into security there because it's not just a regular walk around, observe, and report sort of a thing. These guys have uh, a, a better heads on their shoulders, and they're better mm-hmm. armed, they're better trained, they better communicate. And he has actually said somebody having three or four days' worth of do not disturb on their door would not have gone unhandled in his casino in the wind or the encore. If they, mm-hmm. if they go in to do regular room service and it says do not disturb, they will check back within 12 hours. If it still says do not disturb – they're going to start getting involved because they don't right. want something like this. There's also been many, many cases where someone goes into a hotel room, leaves a body behind him, hangs the do not disturb. The room's been paid for already for a few days, and nobody goes in there to find anything until a right. stinking body ends up right. alerting Absolutely. the neighbors. So yeah. Steve Wynn's not about to have that. So they have protocols. I would imagine – the majority of these hotelers are going to start looking towards right. the Wynn Hotel and following those protocols. There's likely going to be observers on top of various buildings around these outdoor concert venues. And the type of security that they're going to have is going to be ridiculous. They're going to have more metal detectors and wands for people going yeah. in, which is, again, turning something from a tragedy inward, which was not the problem to begin with. So that'll be stupid. It'll be a waste of money. And it won't prevent anything. It's going to be to the outside. Right. Here's here's, uh, here's just a little bit of information that that I can throw in from personal experience. Um, uh, recently, I traveled to the Philippines to to Manila for uh, production company uh, prep work for a film. Um, and I'm I'm doing multiple jobs on this film, and one of them is security and security analysis and, and things like that, risk mitigation. So we went and we surveyed some, I went and surveyed some of the higher end hotels for the actors who were going to be staying there. And, um, and in the Philippines, they're, they're a very gun friendly, gun friendly uh, country. And they have uh, pretty similar gun laws to the U S in, in many regards. They have at their hotels, they have x-ray machines on the outside for bags going in. Um, They have security that will wand you down. But um, all of that, and they have armed security in every hotel, and they have plainclothes security and uniform security in every hotel, every major hotel. And so with all of that in place, uh, last year there was a pretty major incident with a single shooter. Uh, the guy just simply walked in and went in. I'm sorry, the what did you say? Door. Single shooter? David, what did you say? A single single shooter. shooter? I didn't hear. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was a single shooter. Uh, he walked in the exit door with a bulletproof vest on uh, mm. and a backpack full of magazines, an M, uh, a little shorty uh, SBR M4 converted AR 15 kind of platform. And commenced uh, to walking around. As soon as he walked past the security checkpoint, a female security who was armed came running up to him and tried to stop him, like reach out and tap him on the shoulder to remind him to go back through. His response was to pull out an M4 and fire it into the, into the casino floor uh, towards people. People started running. He walked over the casino tables, started pouring kerosene and gasoline 
uh, out of water bottles onto the casino tables and setting them on fire. Um, there, he threw something else on the casino tables that set off what sounded like gunfire. So it was either casino chips exploding or uh, he threw bullet casings. You know, he threw live rounds on the, on the table to, to distract security. And their hotel security came in armed with AR-15s, shotguns, and handguns. And he was still in that hotel for over an hour, going wherever he wanted and doing whatever he wanted, shooting at people as they, as they fled. Wow. And they, they finally boxed him in, and he went up to a hotel room uh, and kicked in a door, shot the lock off the door and kicked it in, um, and then set the hallway on fire outside the door to slow the security down. And he had been wounded in an exchange with the security. And then he shot himself um, in the hotel. And, uh, you know, you can, you can look at the background on this guy. And he's just an average kind of guy. He showed up to the hotel in a taxi. So he didn't, he didn't have to bring 23 firearms. He brought one firearm and uh, 20-something magazine. And, uh, and some guys. David, I, I have... David, you, you've been in Las Vegas many times. You used to live near here. My question to you is this. The CCTV in Las Vegas is unmatched in a lot of places in the world. How does it compare in the Philippines? Do they have a tremendous amount of CCTV and their hotel casinos in the Philippines as well? And I ask because I've never yes. been to a casino in the Philippines. Yes, they do. They do. And they, they use a lot of the latest tracking technology. So once – once a gunshot is fired, they already know it, the cameras automatically start to track and pan the, the person shooting without even anyone at the controls. So bang, wow. gun goes off. It tells you exactly where it's at. It tells you, and it starts to track and it starts to follow. And there, there's, so their security is not as bad as Thailand. Um, it's pretty tight but they're not as well-trained with firearms and tactics and things like that as they probably should be. That's, so that's where I was going with then? it is that you can have armed security, but if you don't train them and if they don't train together as a group, as a team on what to do in a high-stress environment, um, even if somebody's got prior police or prior yeah. military and, and group training, if they're not trained to work together that can fall apart. There's different terminology. There's different hand signals. There's different call-outs from who's ever manning the video screens in the CCTV office, letting them know where to go. So it, they took more than an hour, and this guy got somehow up into the hotel tower and into a room. It sounds to me like it was not a failure of the, of the equipment that security has, but more so the training for them to be able to use that uh, equipment. Right, and also hmm. their their SOPs were okay. to get everyone out first, right? To evacuate everyone first. So what they what they did is they shut off all, all the uh, major sound systems of the hotel casino, and they started playing uh, an uh, an alert. Please exit the hotel. There is an emergency. Everyone, please exit the hotel. Use the fire escapes. Do not use the uh, the lifts. So <clears throat> everyone stopped using the elevators and started going straight for the stairs. And this guy. He didn't want to shoot just every, he wasn't trying to shoot everyone. He, he was there. He was looking for cash. He was looking for money. Uh, he went into the cages on the casino floor first, shot the, the, the locks off the doors, kicked the doors open, went in the cages, 
but the staff had already taken all the money and put it into a, a, a non-visible room, a, a more secluded, secured room, and Come they'd on. only left chips behind. So, and all of the cage staff is hiding in one room during this whole rampage. And if he just found that one door, which he just didn't happen to find, um, there probably would have been 12 or 13 more dead people. Um, but um, mm. anyway, he, he he gained access to every room he wanted to go into by simply shooting through the locks and kicking the door in. And he, he ended up taking several hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, casino chips and putting them in his backpack. And I don't know how he planned to get out of there um, alive, but I guess he at one point had a plan. It probably just fell apart when it met with reality. So, um, but in Las Vegas, they have high level uh, facial recognition software uh, tracking CCTV systems that are top notch above and beyond. There is, uh, there is a person there. I can't remember his name right now offhand, uh, but his whole company is, is dedicated to following high rollers, card counters, con men, and uh, sexual offenders. So as soon as they walk into a hotel, their images come up on facial recognition software. It calls to him. He has a mobile team, and they respond. And they go there, and they surveil this person and remove them from the casino without anyone noticing if they're a problem. Yeah, so, and, that, and that entire process was initially put together many years ago uh, by Gordon Adams. And we both know his son, Jared. Um, he's, he's the one that begun, began all of that when uh, they put that movie out about the kids from MIT going in card counting and cleaning out the casinos. And he was a guy that initially implemented that whole facial recognition technology in Las Vegas. Uh, so I don't, again, uh, if we, if that tragedy in the Philippines is nuts, I, I'm hearing their first thing is to get people out. That just oftentimes brings more people from otherwise enclosed rooms into bigger open areas and it ends up being a shooting gallery. So, um, I wonder, I wonder what the trend is now when it comes to the idea of TSA style baggage screening, I would imagine we will likely see that as well. Um, yeah. in some of the casinos, probably start in the higher end casinos because those folks tend to understand a little bit more than the average Joe. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Wynn uh, is already trying to secure some of those things for the Wynn Hotel. And I would be surprised if too many of his guests actually balked at that. Like, look, we don't care what kind of kinky or weird things in there. As long as it doesn't go boom or bang, it's okay in the right. hotel. Because they are a gun-free zone with the exception of their security. Now, I'm not a big fan of that, but I understand it coming from the, the position of the owner of the property. And they have their own liabilities and such. Uh, I actually know a friend of mine who was a very high roller. He passed away a little less than a year ago. That spent a fair amount of time at the wind. And he carried concealed. He had a Nevada concealed weapons permit. And a couple of times, he was found to have it in his jacket. And they told him politely, you know, we don't allow guns within the casino. And uh, so he was very happy to put that thing away. You know, he, he was, didn't like taking his safety out of his own hands and giving it to other people, even though he had his own armed guard with him. Anyhow, um, they both had to disarm when he would stay at the win. And they were fortuitous about it. So I would imagine we're probably going to see more and more of that. 
uh, if they haven't, if a company hasn't yet stepped up and started putting together a set of SOPs for the various casino security to be able to be armed and try to get the corporate attorneys that are in charge of these uh, various companies that have these properties out of the way and get them into some more security-minded things and spend some money to do this and upgrade. It. Hopefully right. that will help, and it will help people because it's interesting. You have people that say that they're anti-gun, and truly <laughs> right. they're not because they call on the phone to the people who have the guns who, who otherwise guns have to come there. <laughs> right. I, I think they're, they're truly against um, massive violence. That's what they stand against. If it's committed with a gun or somebody driving over a crowd of people in a car like we've seen in Europe recently, they're anti all of that. But they still call the guys and the gals with the cars and the guns to roll to try to save them. When right. If you had, as I put it, responsible adults in the U.S. who are mm-hmm. armed and trained and actually take their training seriously. They don't just buy a gun, go to a range, learn how to fire 20 or 30 rounds and call it good. If they're, they true life, get training, and they keep up to pace on that training, that's a good thing for America because we have, we have rational, good citizens out there carrying guns that have gotten the training and they have the right mindset in order to help protect other people. That wouldn't have necessarily done a whole bunch in this situation. This situation is unique. The guy really planned it out. And for a one-man band to do this, um, you got a guy who's pretty dedicated, and he's going to start thinking about uh, people coming up behind him or how he's going to be stopped in this process. So that gave him 12 minutes of free fire. Pretty impressive. Right, 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 yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's what we've been hearing and hearing all the time, you know. It's like the uniqueness of um, the incident of this horror, of this attack. Uh, it's all planned out. Of course, yeah. Evil is evil, like I said earlier. Evil is evil. We can't stop that. And I want to echo what you just said, Bill. It is very true. You keep continuing that uh, that training. Uh, we are responsible adults, you know. Uh, we, we we take it, um, you know, civilians I'm talking about. You all from the military and law enforcement somewhat, you know, background. But me, I, I have no military background. I have no law enforcement background, but I'm a civilian. I've been training since I don't know how long. I mean, you guys seen me on the range. Um ever since I know myself, I guess. But this is important. There are good Americans out there. <laughs> yeah, know, well, my, my unique, my unique perspective, Nikki, comes, I was actually a cop on the Las Vegas Strip about 20 years ago. I worked mm-hmm. that area, and I worked swing shift, and had it push it forward 20 years, I might have been there that night in uniform. But I worked that very area in and around that area in a larger area in a a squad car Mm -hmm. um in a patrol car 20 years ago that was my job um and when it comes to military i was never an active member of the military i was a contract trainer for the military Uh, so i do understand perspective but i wasn't like a a dd-214 carrying member of the army or the marine corps or something like that i was a uh, a contract trainer assigned through dod to the department of the army uh post 9-11 so I mean, so you know, you're familiar with all of this, and so is David. I mean, David Gray has been. Tell us what you think about this. Um, go ahead. Well, one of the things I think that would have also helped uh, is if people had uh, coordinated a little better in the communication center for the Las Vegas Police Department, because you had the guy below calling 911 and saying, uh, "Hey, there's a guy above me shooting this fully automatic weapons fire." You actually had an Australian guy in the room next to him 
uh, to the right of his room, I believe, saying, calling 911 and saying the same thing. And when he wasn't getting the response that he wanted from the police, he actually hung up, called the hotel security, and told them as well, hey, there's a guy in the room right next to me. And And then once they said, okay, we know we're on it, we got somebody coming up, he went back and called on one again and left the room. So there's a lot of miscommunication. There's a lot of communication on, you know, uh, leaking cracks in the in the middle of everything, right? Um, what do you think, Bill? Well, uh, I'm losing you over there, David. Are, are you there? I can't hear you. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So uh, uh, go ahead, guys. As unique as this shooting was, the question is, mm-hmm. can it be prevented again? Well, the big answer to that is likely. If the hotel and casino operations change and learn from this, and learn from mm-hmm. it smartly, and they implement it unobtrusively. Imagine, if you will, that you go to check in, you've got your baggage, or you leave it with the bellman. Before that baggage goes up to your room, it goes through a scanner that's behind the scenes, right? Like Every what you said earlier, like a scanner. PSA kind of thing? Like yeah. a PSA routine? Yeah. Yeah, out, of, like out of the way. That would need to happen. When it comes to concert venues to. like this, you're going to have to have observers, if not shooter-observer teams, just in case. Um, and those are things that can be implemented without a lot of uh, fanfare, without a lot of visual um, – keys that set them off but just so it ends up being one of these say like if say someone goes up to the room and they're carrying their suitcase they might there might be a policy implemented you have to use the bell service we don't allow people Mm -hmm. to take their own luggage upstairs if it's anything larger than say a purse or duffel bag or a shopping bag they might rifle through it real quick if it's a little thing because basically every casino has a security guard at a post in an elevator bank um Mm -hmm. They're probably going to have to tighten that up a little bit. It needs to be as unobtrusive as possible, and mm-hmm. there needs to be things done behind the scenes. Those will prevent some of these things. No laws passed in Congress are going to change it, and no laws passed in Nevada or the city of Las Vegas are going to change it. It's just going to be operationally. How do we prevent this operationally in the future? The SOP. And then right. let people know that because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a more secure place. And I would imagine those sorts of things will happen and big cities around the world are going to be changing because of this. Some will be right. uglier, more obtrusive. Others will be a little bit more clandestine and still just as effective. Right, right, right. You know, um, I attended a couple of these emergency disaster um, preparedness thing with the command central. I mean, it's a real kind of thing. You know, it's next to real. What, what their goal was is to train um, as regularly as they can at its local community here. And they do it through a community event like local flu shot or what have you not. But we do have people within the command um, central control center, um, you know, with our roles and responsibilities. Okay. This is a medical team. This is a medical crew. And then this is, you're going to be on the ground. You're going to be ushering people when it, you know, uh, when they go mass control, mass, was it mass control, crowd control, or something like mass, that? Called mouse casualty right. control. Right, crowd that's control, it. Yeah. yeah. 
so we we train simulate these things you know so we can at least visualize um you know whether or not it's not whether or not i mean we simulate this so it's it's almost real simulation to the reality you know um a lot of us don't do that. A lot of the, the, the things. So I'm hoping with all of this, what we learn, what to take home away. I mean, obviously it's very sad deal, but I'm, I'm just like, you know, looking at the hotels and hopefully if they haven't done so, they're going to try to develop, um, you know, disaster preparedness within among their hotel industries community and say, you know what, we need to work on this together. How can we do a command, you know, um, what do you call that, um, center together. If they want to do it separately, that's fine. But look at how the, uh, the venues are, the location, the Vegas strips. The hotels are like next to each other. You know, we, we've been yeah, talking, you know, I've been hearing what you guys are talking about earlier, you know, how the, the building is right next to each other. Why don't we work together as a team? You know, and then simulate you know, the drill, simulate that. Go ahead. So, you know, Nikki, mo- most of these hotels are in communication, and most of them are grouped. You've got their Mandalay yep. Bay to the north of that Luxor to the north of that. You've got the uh, the Excalibur. All of those are owned by the same company. Then you've right. got across the street from that, you've got the New York, New York. Um, and then, again, north of that, very, right next door, you've got uh, – um, <clears throat> what the hell is the name of it? It's uh, the Monte Carlo. Then you've got the whole city center. Then you've got everything. The Bellagio with, uh, and all what, the Luxor. The Bellagio and all of that. All of that from the Bellagio, from Flamingo Road all the way down to Russell Road. All of that is MGM Resort property on the west side of the Strip. Now, MGM is actually on the east side of the Strip. Most of the properties, with the exception of uh, on the east side of the Strip from Spring Mountain Road, all the way south, with the exception of on the very corner there where you've got the Venetia and the Palazzo. Um, From there, you start the link and you start heading to the south. The only property uh, that, well, every property down to Tropicana, except for the MGM, all of that is Caesars Entertainment. They own all of those. So that entire section of the Strip is owned by two companies, with Mm -hmm. uh, little exception for a couple of very tiny little properties like a travel lodge and a couple other things. But those are owned by two properties, and they do all communicate. They do all communicate. They, these different casinos, they have to operate together. They have to operate in conjunction. They have a lot of communication. What they don't tend to have is uh, training for their guys. Now, I was involved with a group about four years ago where we were trying to put together a training scenario for the Stratosphere, uh, the company that owns the Stratosphere, another hotel in Las Vegas, another one down in Laughlin. And at one point in time or another, they ended up pulling out. I would imagine they would probably be more interested in having that because they could always come out and say, look, that wouldn't happen here because of these things that we brought in a few years back. So there's probably going to be some opportunity for those in the training field for this sort of I thing. I think so. And I hope so. The, the communication would help out, especially when you're hearing, oh, there's multiple shooters. We heard that there's somebody at New York, New York, some at Tropicana, somebody at Monte Carlo. What ended up happening to – have those is you have people who were running away from the concert venue. Some of them hurt, some of them shot and running down the strip and in other directions to get into the hotels where they could be safe. Some of them had the rooms in the ones there and some just went to another place that they could get to. And then others are here. Oh my God, there's a shooter. Wait, 
this guy's bloody, and then other people are putting two and two together and thinking, well, that must be four. There's got to be a shooter here, too. So that's where some of the police were strung out to other hotels. Allegedly, there was you know, shooters all various yeah. hotels. It was just a lot of confusion and other people yeah. putting information together that they saw and assuming that there was a shooter and calling 911 with these assumptions. Right. This is a lot of mass panic. What do you think, David? Yeah, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of mass panic. And and I, I remember uh, there's a, the, now it's going to be a famous video of the, the taxi driver uh, who's at, at Mandalay Bay when the whole thing starts. And then she goes driving past the concert through basically through the concert down the strip and a, a group of six people or so climb into her taxi claiming that one of them has a broken leg and they need to get to the hospital as fast as they can. But in fact, she didn't have a broken leg and they all got dropped off at various hotels. And, uh, uh, anyway, there's huge mass confusion. If you listen to the voice, uh, the, the dialogue inside the taxi, as all these people climbed into the taxi, they're saying, oh, there are a thousand people dead. There's bodies lying everywhere. They're shot all over the place. All over the place. There's shooters here. There's shooters there. There's somebody shooting in the crowd. They didn't know what was going on, but they're definitely, you know, giving, giving all these false narratives, which doesn't help the situation, which comes back to, again, being able to handle, handle yourself in a crisis and, and, you know, relay accurate information uh, people who have the ability to relay that information, which a taxi cab driver actually does. She can get on the radio communication and, and instantly say to her command, hey, I've got, uh, to her dispatch, hey, I've got an uh, injured person in the vehicle, and they're saying this, this, and this. And then that information can get relayed back to first responders much faster than uh, people doing dispatch. Because most taxi cab drivers, they have an emergency alert channel. They have their own emergency channels. So they can communicate pretty quick. Yeah, disseminate it really quickly and everything. Uh, it's interesting that you brought up that um, opportunity way back when, uh, Bill, regarding the training. Uh, I think yeah. I heard about that. Um, you're involved with the, at the the one school in Paramb, right? Front site, I believe, back then, yes. or no? No, I mean, was this was a. No, this is a. This is a three, four. I, I left front site uh, this month. Matter of fact, uh, next week will be nine years ago. That's when I left. I was the senior range master on the property, and I left nine years ago. So this this situation happened maybe four or five years back. We're a group of us, probably about five years ago. We're a group of us. We're getting together with a company in Las Vegas that was standing up a training division, and one of the things we were looking to do was we were looking to actually bring a whole different level of uh, training to security departments at the various hotel casinos. And we were happy to start with the folks over at the stratosphere if they were going to sign on the dotted line and get moving because they had three small properties. And they even told us, look, our security teams interact up and down the strip and throughout the state. We all interact. We all stay in very close communication. We know what each other are doing. So if, and they were using that to try to get a bargain based deal on this training because then they would actually tell the other companies, look, this is what we're getting done, and these are the guys who are doing it, which would have opened a nice little industry for us, a cottage industry in Las Vegas to begin with, and then be able to go to the gaming industries around the world and help them out as well. So unfortunately, had this happened five years ago, five, six years, about five years back, 
um, perhaps things would have been it implemented been in place. places like Mandalay Bay by now. But you know, hindsight now. is twenty. Hindsight is twenty twenty. They're probably going to be scrambling and uh, using a, uh, some of the funds that they're. I mean, Vegas is raking it in. The accountants are in charge now. They're going to have to figure out how to pry some of that money out of the uh, investors and put it back into security for prevention. Um, it's going to be loss of life and uh, that's sort of prevention. I think going to be a first priority, wouldn't you think, gentlemen? I mean, I. I come from saving lives priority. I mean, it would be a priority right now at the table of discussion of all of the CEOs or whoever owns, you know, the two companies that own it. Should it. it should be the done last week. It's yeah. Look, looking down the road, looking down the road for the survival of Las Vegas, for the survival of the gaming industry, for the survival of cities in general that have a lot the of city tourism. In general, for looking, world industry, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this is the sort of thing that. So here's something Go I can ahead, say. Gentlemen. I can say about that. Okay, when years and years ago, in 2007, I was I was in Las Vegas. I was working at close protection, doing some firearms training, doing consulting for film, and and also working at a place called uh, uh, Sahara before it was knocked down. I believe. Uh, I believe now. It's oh, gone. it's still there. So, it's it, it's still there. Oh, it's still there. Okay. I yeah, just a different, a different operation. Right. I can and hear David. It's faded so, out. Okay, so I was I was working uh, out of the Sahara Hotel Casino quite a lot. Okay. And I was, I was doing bodyguard jobs and driving limousines and, and things like that. So I had a, a group of clients and we're driving down the strip. And uh, I forget exactly which hotel it was. I believe it was Caesar's Palace. I might be wrong. But I remember a, a guy came in on the casino floor and opened fire uh, on the casino floor. That wasn't uh, part of the with, movie, was it? <laughs> no, this was and this was a, a real life scenario. He was nothing movies that time. Yeah, but this no, this this was I was driving limousines and and uh, I was on the strip with clients in the back of my car and I was doing close protection for them as well and. As I'm going down the strip, they have a shooting at one of the one of the hotel casinos there. I have to look it up now to get the, the location, and the dates, and type of gun used, and all that kind of thing. But one basically, one guy was pissed off, went in there and just started shooting. And mostly, what he hit was the, was the slot machines and uh, and a few people. And it ended up being a security guard and a metro uh, bicycle cop that that took him down and took him out of the fight. But after that, immediately after that, I went to the Sahara uh, owner, right? Uh, I don't remember his name right now. He's uh, out of Hollywood, uh, out of the LA area. And he was of uh, Arab descent. And anyway, he, uh, we, we started talking about it. And I said, look, you know, what are you gonna do for your, for your hotel security uh, training? These guys, they carry weapons in the in the hotel. They're carrying handguns. How often do they train? Do you know? And he's like, no, I have no idea. And so I started talking to the hotel security guys about, you know, doing some training. And they said, well, we got to – I talked to uh, – about are you, training. Are you there? And okay. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Can Bill hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. Yeah, I, we, I lost you, you, for you dropped seconds. off for about 10 seconds. Yeah, 10 seconds. Go okay. ahead. Okay, 
so we, we started talking to the hotel owner and the, and the managers about doing security, uh, doing training for the security for firearms training and, and some basic tactics and concepts. And, uh, they, they said, well, okay, what's the budget going to come down to monthly, including paid time for, for range for the staff, ammunition, uh, you know, and all this, all this kind of stuff. And it ended up being around 3000 us dollars per month for, uh, for training for 28 people that were doing security. We had 12 <laughs> on the day shift and 12 on the night. And so, so uh, and we, oh, I'm sorry, we had eight, eight and eight with, uh, overlap, uh, on the swing shift. So they, they said, yeah, well, that's a lot of money. And for guys just to go shoot, yeah, this, this is what the owner said. He said, no, that's a lot of money for guys to go shoot guns and have fun. I said, no, 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 it's not about that. You don't realize what these guys deal with every day. You've got domestic violence. You've got guys coming in trying to rob your guests. Uh, you've got people being robbed at the ATM inside the casino. Uh, so, you know, this would be beneficial to you. And you just had a shooting down the street on the strip, you know, about 12 blocks away. And you need to start to think about it. What's going to happen? What are you going to do? I think that's absurd, so, personally. I mean, one word of that, my, my immediate feedback would be, how much is your worth, uh, your life worth to his face? Yeah, well, they, you got to think of it like this. They look at it as, as a budget. Right? As a budget, budget, right. If it's, if it's not in the budget, then it's not in the budget, and they don't want to do it. Hotels are to make money, not spend money. Well, I hope and, this uh, is going to change everything you know the way they think they the way they think about security the way they think about investing uh, safety i mean for god's sake this is um las vegas uh, you know everybody yeah. comes to las vegas you know everybody sees this around the world you know you know i, yeah. I gotta tell you one canceled convention or one canceled large family reunion at one hotel would the the funds lost from that would more than pay for that three thousand dollars a month for a small property the size of what the Sahara was? Of course. Uh, even yeah. if you even if it's ten times that thirty grand at a, one of the bigger casinos thirty grand a month say it's fifty grand a month that is one lost hand by a high roller or a whale one time right um, one time exactly the, these hotels are making hundreds of millions of dollars per property a minute billions but, 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 billions mean, up and down the strip exactly from right so and I don't want to hear the three thousand dollars you know it's a lot of money I don't I don't want to hear that. <laughs> It, it's it's looking it's looking beyond the wall in front of you, and it's looking into the future. A safe right. Las Vegas. Now we learned from this tragedy. It's now the safest gaming center in the world. Okay, if they could promote that, and it's still fun, and the security's not in your face. You're not walking by armed guards with M16 strapped to the front of their chest in uh, some sort of a, a, a tax link. You're not having to have your stuff rifled through right in front of you. Um, you're not being wanted constantly. There are a lot of various in, – in the Wynn Hotel, they have very subdued metal detectors. You don't even know you're walking through one. And they're being watched oftentimes remotely with security officers that are stationed near there that are supposed to respond once they get a call. So if you're walking through, it's not going to beep and buzz and somebody's going to stop you and start wanting you. 
it's very, very subdued. That sort of technology needs to enter into more of the casinos. And, uh, again, like we are talking about, PSA bags, don't bring anything bigger than a, something you could carry. Because keep in mind, if this guy had a whole bunch of AR-15s, those are two-piece guns. You can yeah, take can those things them. apart and put them into a 30-inch, um, 30 or 32-inch uh, hard case um, suitcase and roll it up. And you can put a few of them in there, two or three of them in each one, with a couple of loaded magazines and some ammo. You don't need to bring a dolly full of ammo or a huge box full of magazines. No, no, you put no, a few are, yeah, of these right. things into one or two of these uh, suitcases. You can carry two suitcases at a time. Nobody's going to look at you any different. You do it again five, four, five, six hours later, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to remember you. Those are the sorts of things yeah. that need to be taken care of now when it comes to if you're allowed to take your own baggage up to your room. Now, we're going to offer you that as a service. And at the same time, it's being screened. Well, yeah, I, yep. I'm surprised that in casinos they don't have the metal detectors like you were saying, you know, like TSA kind of thing. Nobody knows that we're going to TSA metal detector. I think that has to be in put in place right away immediately. I think they should be prioritizing these all hotels. Uh, the two owners that own the, the gazillion of hotel um, lots there, facilities there. And another thing I was going to mention, you, Bill, mentioned about CCTV or David mentioned about CCTV. What about that? Maybe it's time to reevaluate this and then upgrade the systems and, you know, be able to see or they already have these things in place. Why is it failing, you know, at this well, sort of other thing in the U.K.? They use a CCTV system that allows you to see through two layers of clothing, and it doesn't give detail. It can, it can tell you when they have something of a hard object, like a large knife, or or uh, they have a handgun or something Metal. under their clothing. It just, yeah, just something that, that within range, within a certain range of the CCTV, it'll show up. And I don't know why we're not using that in the U.S. right I now. I don't either. Uh, especially. Also. Also, silly, silly things that most people don't ever think of is, okay, broken, uh, the windows were broken. Whether he shot them out or he bashed them out with a hammer, which I think is kind of hard to do, um, he, he broke the windows. Okay? There should have been an alarm system on the window that alerted them that, hey, these windows are broken. You need to, you need to go to security and engineering and the fire, the, the, the fire control guys straight away, right? Saying, hey, we've got broken windows. We've got two broken windows in the same suite. Wow, that's a little odd. That should stand out really fast. Okay. Also, all around in, in certain cities around the U.S. and other countries, they place ballistic sound sensors, which means when there's gunfire, they're able to triangulate where the gunfire is coming from. They know which area it's coming from within a relatively short amount of time. And this is not, you know, super high-tech, crazy uh, technology. It's been out there for years. We used it on Humvees in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, and we've been using it since after the first year. Okay? So if we can put it on a car, we can certainly put it on a hotel at a reasonable cost. Wow. So yeah. there's certain things like this that could be implemented that would greatly improve. Uh, right. And okay. as well. Now, yeah. let's, uh, allow me allow me to caveat just a bit. I, I agree with David and and you, Nikki, in uh, a fair amount of that when it comes to the private property scenario. 
I don't right. advocate that sort of thing out in the public area, like the CCTVs that can see through a couple of layers of clothes. That's privacy. I can I can keep my gun and and carry it and be concealed with my permit or whatever area I'm in without needing to be intruded upon. Everybody doesn't need to know that I'm packing. Um, if I want to carry exposed so everybody can see I'm packing, that's my business. But when it comes to the interior of a casino, you the casinos have <clears throat> they have liability, which is why they disarmed a lot of their security guards. Now they're seeing a whole different realm of liability. Now imagine this. There's been a lot of mall shootings over the years in uh, America where you go in, it says no guns allowed, and then people get shot up. Now, I was at the Galleria Mall here in Las Vegas, out in Henderson, and I was – it did not say no guns allowed. I'm sitting in the food court with my family, my brother's family, carrying my exposed 1911, and some 20-something-year-old kid who was the head of security for the property came up to me. It pulled me to the side and asked me if I would mind putting my gun back in the car to where I said, yes, I would. He told me it was the policy of the mall not to have guns in the mall. Although they didn't post it on the door, that was their policy. And my response hmm. to him was, okay, I need you to understand this. It's my policy that I take my own safety and that of my family personally. I don't get on the phone and wait to call somebody because, you know, literally fractions of a second count in a lethal situation. So what you're doing is you're telling me, if I want to spend my money here, you guys are assuming that the liability of the safety of myself and my family, because you're not going to allow me to do it. So you believe that your property rights trump my unalienable rights to provide protection for myself and my family. So I need you to understand, if something happens, if I put my gun away and I come back in here, I, you are agreeing to take my personal liable safety under your wing. And if something goes bad, I'm going to sue the living shit out of you guys. You understand this, right? And he hadn't thought of it like that. I said, now, people that don't normally carry guns, they don't have a standing for you to have to provide them protection because they don't provide their own. Because I they don't do. provide their own. I, I am armed. I, I am trained defensively trained to far more my, than you guys are going right. to do. So right. that was my whole position on it is I, if I am not going to be allowed to protect myself, then you must provide that protection for me. And that's what I'm saying. These, these casino properties need to do in Las Vegas and around the world. They, if they're going to say you cannot be armed, they also need to be saying, if you are normally armed, you have to realize we will be providing that safety for you. And that's going to cost more than three friggin' thousand dollars a month. So it's yeah. more like okay. So a couple, couple, um, uh, you know, thoughts on that. One is that yeah, we do, we do recognize, we do acknowledge. You guys have to acknowledge our our rights basically to carry guns because we do have that CCW uh, permit that saying stating that we are trained to do this. We are skilled to you know protect ourselves, right? Not necessarily. I mean, possibly I, the, the whole permit thing is a whole different discussion because you got to realize a lot of a lot of states in this country, you don't have to get a permit to exercise your right. And really, uh, if you have open carry in Nevada and then you have concealed carry in Nevada, but yet for concealed carry, you have to pay money to go through a class and then pay money to the state. It's just a jacket tax. You're doing the exact same thing. You still have to have the same legal justification to pull your gut out and shoot, whether you're carrying concealed or carrying exposed. It's nothing All more right. than a jacket tax in Nevada. 
But what I'm now. saying is that they, it, yeah. if they're going to protect the hotels, the CCTV in the hotels generally concentrate on the gaming floor. They're looking for cheaters. They're not looking for security and safety of the other patrons. Got it. Yeah. So they have I, to I start focusing part. those cameras to the outside. They still need to keep watching for cheaters. They're probably going to need to bring some other people on that have some observation skills and have a little bit deeper team looking for other things. I think that's what we were trying, at least I was trying to say regarding the CCTV by saying that maybe we should reevaluate that and maybe we should upgrade the system to that level for that particular purposes if it's not anymore for, you know, an addition to, I should say. It's just a matter of having more eyes on more screens. Exactly. More eyes in a technology side. Yeah, technology word. Uh, Go ahead. You you can have... You can have. We lost David. Okay, so Bill, <laughs> he just got snapped. Yes. Bill, are you still there? Okay, great. Yeah, I think I like. Um, it was a great. <laughs> excuse me. It was a great on point what you just said about the, um, you know, uh, the rights of, <laughs> of course, protecting our lives. I mean, for God's sake. I mean, this is our lives. And then if something happened to our loved ones, um, in a public area, um, I think we just lost David. <laughs> I'm trying to get him back right now. Go ahead. Continue what you were saying. That's okay. You know, I I appreciate being able to come on the show and and share our thoughts. It was uh, fun to banter about with you and David as well. And, again, I'm looking forward to hearing Patrick's thoughts later. Um, But when it comes down to it, was this preventable? The answer is yes, but it's on the private security side of the casinos. You're going to want to do it without inconveniencing your guests, without them feeling like they're going through TSA again. Um, it has to be very subtle. Uh, the Wind Properties has a good uh, start on this. Um, hopefully, they will take it to another level, and, and I'm hoping that that will change up and down the entire Las Vegas Strip, like downtown, and right. the other places. Yeah, I mean, have have the sort of metal detectors and scanners that are subdued that you can't really see. Um, they're clandestine. Um, bags don't go. You don't take your own bags up. The you know Bell Services are going to take your bags up. That'll cost a couple of bucks, but then again, these guys are probably going to be making more tips, uh, expand it, get a few more jobs going on there, and keeping the patrons in the hotels safe and keep them from being able to take, you know, bump sock ARs up there and such, or belt-fed M60s, whatever it might be. Um, It's up to the hotels to implement those sorts of things. They're going to need to do it quickly. They want to do it clandestinely, keep people safe without them realizing they're under a lot tighter scrutiny when it comes to being a patron in one of these places. So now, one last, with one that, last question, there's well, no laws that are going to change it. There, yeah, I'm just saying there's question. no laws on the federal books that are going to change it. It's going to have to be operational on the ground. Well, yeah, it has to be like within, within themselves. Uh, one last question. Um, I, I, I had it though you were talking. Um, oh God, now I forgot. Go ahead and continue what you said. It'll come back to me again. No, I, I, I I'm pretty good. I, I think I've, uh, I think I spilled my guts on my whole feelings on this from a kind of a tactical perspective, a preventative perspective, and a keep keep everybody safe perspective, and also don't turn it into some sort of a security zone or a TSA up and down the strip with it. You know, oh, nobody gosh, wants. Oh I hope not, because I mean, you know, this is like I said earlier. I mean, this is a tourism. This is a tourism at 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 uh, David says it's ended. Okay, um, he just sent me a text message. I guess we lost him. Um, yeah, this is a uh, a world, you know, like this is the top of an international the destination. 
Exactly. Sure. And people are looking at this and people are going to create their own opinions and say, well, I'm not going there. I'm not going there again. This is going to hurt the business in some way if it hasn't been. It hasn't in the it last will. couple of weeks. From, from the production industry that I've been operating in the last few years, uh, we have been concerned that some things might drop off. Now, LVCVA, Las Vegas Convention Business Authority, has not come out with anything that says that they have seen any noticeable increase or decrease or cancellations of anything in Las Vegas at this point. But one more incident would kill this city. One more would absolutely kill it. And so they need to get on top of it to prevent that because they have billions upon billions of dollars in investment and infrastructure in Las Vegas that can go away very quickly and take decades to recover. My final thoughts are um, that first we need to remember that there are victims involved in this shooting situation, and we need to think about those victims, and we need to continue to research and analyze and investigate and figure out how this happened and how we can prevent it from happening again for those victims and for their families who lost family members that day. We're not doing this for ourselves as industry no. professionals. We're not doing this for the Second Amendment. We're not doing this for gun rights. That's right. We're wanting to investigate this scenario of what is the possible, the best possible way to prevent it from happening again and how to react when it does happen again because it will happen somewhere in the world again sometime in the future because one, you can't stop creating and two, there's always going to be evil. Evil is evil, you guys. All right, we're running out of time as always. This is great episode coverage, you guys. Thank you so very much for your insights. We need, we do need to continue to discuss this. Uh, like David was saying, just staying aware, staying alert, and this is all prevention. If you so happen in Southeast Asia, please drop by to beautiful Thailand. Uh, Thailand. Visit David Gray. Check out his website, DamasSecurity.com. Highly seasoned instructor. Had the privilege to train with you <laughs> decades ago, though. He was in the U.S. decades ago. Part of him. Traveled a long way from his journey. In his journey. Also, Bill Carnes. Thank you so very much, sir. Um, You're welcome. You and you can, you can uh, find information about me at BillCarnes.com. C-A-R-N-S. There's no E in that name. And thanks that very much, Nikki Davis. Great to reconnect. All right, great. Likewise, thank you for listening. My favorite Marines, also Patrick Garrity, uh, great friends, and all of you guys, David Gray, Patrick Garrity, and also Bill Carnes. Very humbly to have you all here join me discussing this very important topic. Need to stay alert of our surrounding you guys at all times. Stay vigilant. Stay, uh, stay safe. Watch your six. Until next time, Nikki Dare, host. God bless. Signing off. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to Nikki Dares Radio, a podcast of sustainability with your host, Ms. Nikki Dare. To learn more, please visit Ms. Dare's websites, education.nikkidare.com. Workshops on safety preparedness, situational awareness are available. Also available, the Transformational Coaching Series. For corporate and private group pricing, please contact us. She also offers both private and group classes in firearms training, handgun, rifles, and shotgun for individuals and families and home invasion scenarios. For details on Nikki Dare's outdoor hiking, yoga, and her other outdoor activities and her passion for fitness and upcoming classes, please visit her website, 
NikkiDare.com. Join the community conversation to network and learn on different outdoor fun on her website, NikkiDare.com slash Freeforum. Follow her on LinkedIn and her social media, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, Pinterest, and Facebook. Or simply watch her tutorial videos. You can subscribe to her YouTube channel, Nikki Dare. All about her books and inspirational quotes can be found on her website, books.nikkidare.com. Check out her newest website, travel.nikkidare.com, for all travel resources, savings, and tips. Her calendars, both of living in purpose and passion, as well as her exclusive edition of Firearm Safety, are available for order on her website, NikkiDare.com. All of her broadcasts are available for free download on iTunes podcast, Nikki Dare. For more details on opportunities for sponsorships and speaking engagements, please email us at education at NikkiDare.com. Join her next time, Living in Purpose and Passion. Our mission is to live a sustainable life with your host, Nikki Dare.